Dear Billy, I don't know if you can even hear this. Two years ago, I would have said that's ridiculous, impossible. But that was before I found out about alternate dimensions and monsters, so I'm just going to stop assuming that I know anything. So much has happened since you left. Your dad was a total mess. He and my mom started getting into fights. Bad fights. I don't think he could stand being here without you. So he left. And he didn't leave mom much. She's taken an extra job and we moved to that lovely trailer park off Curly. Basically, ever since you left, everything's been total disaster. And the worst part is, I can't tell anyone why you're gone. I can't tell them that you saved Elle's life, that you saved my life. I play that moment back in my head all the time. And sometimes I imagine myself running to you, pulling you away, I imagine that if I had, that you would still be here. And everything would be, everything would be right again. I imagine that we, that we could have become friends. Good friends, like, like a real brother and sister. I know that's stupid. You hated me. I hated you. But I thought that maybe, maybe we could try again. But that's not what happened. I just, I stood there and I watched.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Greetings, stranger friends. I am so very happy to be back again talking stranger things for again with the greatest podcast and television show fans in the world. I want to give a, before I go any further, I want to give a big shout out to Chris on Twitter who contacted me uh, and pretty much saved my butt, Bruchachos. I messed up some of the audio for part of the like the first 30 or 40 minutes of the last episode. Some of the clips got cut off and it sounded like there was some dead air. I think what happened was I selected multiple audio sections by accident. And when I edited one thing, it edited a bunch of things. But Chris, my hero and my new best friend, he let me know and I was able to fix it the next day, get the updated version up so if you were some of the uh, unlucky early adap- adopters to uh, listen to the early episode that day, I do apologize. But it should be all fixed if you thought, you know what, that episode was good, but it could be better. You can go back and listen to it. It's 100% uh, improved. It's better. Let's, I'm not going to say 100% better. I don't want to jump ahead um, uh, and, and give myself too much credit. Now, I also want to take a moment to think those of you who found the new voicemail system that I am using. I got your messages, and I look forward to going through them and talking about them in the future. The future! Check out fansnotexperts.com slash strangerdanger or strangerdangerpodcast.com if you want to get in on the action and leave me a message. So, um, what are we waiting for? Oh, actually, I'll tell you what we're waiting for. I did it again. I'm here talking about an episode, and I have no idea 
what comes next. I can't, uh, I can't believe that I'm doing this. I went on a walk with my friend today, uh, and he was like, did you watch him? I said, no, I'm working on episode four. He was like, what is wrong with you? You're supposed to be the, the podcaster. You, you're, you're the big fan. I go, I know. <laughs> I know. And I cried for a good 35 minutes. I am, it's weird how I'm doing this. I thought, you know what? I'm going to watch them over the weekend. And then I just didn't do it because I was working on this one. I said, you know what? I'm going to continue working on this and I have no idea what comes next. But I, I keep saying I, I'm not going to do this any longer. I, 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 I'm going to give up saying that. We'll see. You know, we'll see what happens um, when I get to chapter five which I'm not even sure what the title is. And I kind of love that. I know I've read all the titles in the past, and I'm sure when I see it, I'll be familiar with it. But at this moment, I don't even know what it is. And I am so excited to find out what comes next. It's crazy. I'm crazy. All right. Enough about crazy me. Without any further ado, let's talk about Chapter 4. Dear Billy. Our episode opens up with Owens' people talking to Will, Mike, and Jonathan about what's going on uh, and where Eleven is. Well, not exactly. They can't, um, they can't actually know that. Uh, they can't tell them for security reasons. And they told them they can't actually even contact anyone in Hawkins. There are actually other factions of the government out there that blame Eleven for everything that happened. And they're out there looking for her. Now, these people... They say they are friends of Owens. Eleven trusts them. And now they're asking for the boys to trust them too. You can see that's a lot to take in for these guys. Uh, she hands a letter to Mike. Says, this is for you. And he goes off into Elle's bedroom to read it. It says, dear Mike, I have gone to become a superhero again. From L." I adore the fact that she signed it from L. Like all those notes from Mike, from Mike, from Mike. It's like, here's a, a taste of your own medicine. And he just looks at that letter like, what? Back in Hawkins, Nance and Robin show up at the school and they run right in there. Once they're all together with Max, Steve, and Dustin, Max tells them all about the grandfather clock she saw. It was here. Right here. A grandfather clock. It was so real. And when I got closer, suddenly I just... I woke up. his life she was in a trance or something exactly what eddie said happened to chrissy that's not even the bad part fred and chrissy they both came to miss kelly for help uh, they both were having headaches bad headaches that just wouldn't go away and then then the nightmares trouble sleeping they'd wake up in a cold sweat 
And then they started seeing things. Bad things. From their past. And these visions, they just, they kept on getting worse and worse until eventually, everything ended. Beckner's curse. Chrissy's headache started a week ago. Fred six days ago. I've been having them for five days. I don't know how long I have. All I know is that for Fred and Chrissy, they both died less than 24 hours after their first vision. And I just saw that goddamn clock, so. Looks like I'm gonna die tomorrow. First of all, I am very happy with the fact that Max told them everything that was going on, told them what she saw, told them what she's been dealing with. I, I, I'm very glad it's not one of those situations where a character or something really bad happens and they keep, keep it to themselves and they're like, oh, no, no, it's nothing, it's nothing. And, and then before you know it, it's too late. Now, that being said, there is definitely a feeling of dread in the air amongst them as Max seemingly calculates that you know her time is coming to an end based on Chrissy and Fred. But then they hear something out in the hallways. Steve takes it upon himself to go investigate. He grabs a lamp from the, uh, the counselor's office and he heads into the hall, but not before he tells them all to stay here. As he heads out into the hall, they all follow. Not one of them, quote-unquote, stays here. So they're in the hallway, and the noise, there's something coming. You hear a noise. It's coming closer. 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 It's me! It's me! Jesus, what's wrong with you, Sinclair? I'm sorry. I could have taken you out with this lamp! Sorry, guys. I was biking for eight miles. Give me one second. Shit. We've got a cold red. What? Dustin. I've been with Jason, Patrick, and Andy, and they've gone, like, totally off the rails. They're trying to capture Eddie, and they think you know where he is. You're in terrible danger. All right. Yeah, that, that definitely sucks, but we've got bigger problems than Jason right now. Boom! Yes! Awesome! Reunion! You know how I love a good character reunion. Lucas is back where he effing belongs. He's back with the gang. He fills them in on those bastard ball guys that, you know, tells them that they're, they're looking for Eddie. And in turn, they're looking for Dustin. And I love that Dustin's like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, um, but, you know, we actually have uh, bigger things to worry about right now. And Lucas and Dustin kind of both look at Max. And Lucas, you know, can pretty much figure out that something is going on with her as we go to the opening credits. After the credits, who do we see? Erica Sinclair playing with D&D. I just made up that song on the spot we open after the credits on the Sinclair house uh, 
and we see Erica. She's actually in her room painting a, I guess it's a little figurine you use for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, the doorbell rings, and she is too busy. She's busy, too busy to answer the door. But her mother's like, get the door. Um, she tried. She tried to say she was too busy. And when she does answer the door, you can tell she really wants pretty much nothing to do with the guy on the other side of the door. Uh, oh, and who is it? It's the seemingly perfect high school student athlete, a boy named Jason. Jason appears to just be looking for his fellow basketball friend, uh, Lucas. And Erica's like, I don't know where he is. You're like, well, wait, we just want to hang out. He's like, hang out? He's really taking a step down from Max. And she goes to slam the door on him, and he, he puts his hand on the door pretty aggressively. I think the music helped with that. And you could see the look on Erica's face like, what the hell are you doing here? He's like, do you know uh, Dustin Henderson? She says, know him? I have bled with him. But, I, but really what I love is that she's no help to them. She's like, you tell Lucas that I've been coming for his ass for two days, and you know uh, I've been charging him with interest, uh, and he's going to be un- have enough to get me a Nintendo with Duck Hunt. And then she slams the door in his face. My God. If you've never played Duck Hunt on the Nintendo Entertainment System, I mean, when, when I was a kid, it, it was the Nintendo, and it came with the, the light gun. It was a gray gun. I think they realized they should change it to red so it looked more like a toy. Um, and so I think when I finally got a Nintendo, it came with the red gun. And it came with Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt on the same cartridge. You could, do, you could shoot the ducks, or you can shoot, like, the clay pigeons, like the skeets that they... Skeet shooting. Uh, and I still have no idea how it did that. You plugged it in, and somehow on the screen, it figured out where you were shooting. I don't understand it. It was magic. And uh, I can understand why Erica would want it. But I love that she did not help this jerk face at all. So Jason gets back in the car, and they race off, still on the hunt for young Lucas Sinclair. We cut over to the Wheeler's basement where we see Steve, Lucas, and Dustin reading the article about Victor Creel that the girls got from the library. And they're trying to put some pieces together as to how this whole thing fits with Vecna. Uh, Okay, be honest. Uh, Do you guys understand any of this? No. Pretty straightforward. Oh, straightforward, really? Well, what's confusing to you? So far, everyone Vecna has cursed has died, except for this old Victor Creel dude Nancy found. He's the only known survivor. If anyone knows how to beat this curse, it's him. Yeah, that's assuming that he was cursed Henderson, which we don't even know. How can Vecna have existed back in the 50s? It doesn't make sense. As far as we know, Eleven didn't create the Upside Down. She opened a gate to it. The Upside Down has probably been around for thousands of years. Millions. I wouldn't be surprised if it predated the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs? What are we... Okay, okay, but if a gate didn't exist in the 50s, how did Vecna get through? Oh, and how's he getting through now? And why now? Oh, and why then? Just pops out in the 50s, kills one family, and is like, eh, I'm good. And poof, he just disappears, just gone? Only to return 30 years later and start killing some random teens? No, I don't buy it. <sighs> Straightforward my ass. You know what, honestly, Henderson, a little humility every now and then, it wouldn't hurt you. Sorry. So there are a couple interesting things that come out of that. You know, the big question they have is, why now? Why then? 
how without a gate, uh, you know, like what is going on in between all that time? You know, in the previous episode, uh, Owen says uh, that the virus is mutating and they showed Vecna in like a, you know, a kind of a split screen kind of showing that maybe he is the mutation. But I'm wondering if like Vecna was off doing its own thing in the upside down for all these years. And, and now it's being summoned by the mind flayer to serve a new purpose. Um, I do like how Dustin talks about how the upside down could be, could have been around for thousands of years or millions of years. But another thing I like there is just a little character development is how Steve puts Dustin in his place for his tone, you know, a little humility. It is true that Dustin, you'll, you'll find him from time to time talking down to people or being impatient with people. And I like Steve calling him out on it, uh, basically telling him, you know, do a little better, being kind of like a big brother to him. And I also like that Dustin's like, sorry, like he kind of recognized that he was doing it and, you know, was like, oh, he didn't mean to. Uh, so I, I liked that. So after Dustin apologizes, uh, they all kind of sit there for a second and then look over to see Max. Her back is turned towards them and she's working on something. She seems to be writing something at a desk. They, they try to guess as to what they're writing. They're wondering if she's even slept. At that moment, the door slams at the top of the basement stairs and Nancy and Robin have returned. They come down with news that they have a plan. Simple enough. Pose as college students Ruth and Rose so they can get to Victor Creel over at Penhurst Asylum. They called and tried to uh, set up a meeting with him directly, saying that they're working on a thesis and they were rebuffed. But they did land some time with the director of the facility. So they thought that'll at least get their foot in the door and they can see where they can go from there. Uh, And they're like, that's great because Stephen Lucas mentioned that they have a lot of questions. And Nancy says they do too. And hopefully Victor Creel can answer some of them. So they have this uh, counterfeit paperwork that I think it was their friends over at the the school newspaper helped make for them. Uh, And Steve noticed that there were only two of them? Uh, where's his? We see them go alone into Nancy's room, and he speaks to her because he's pissed. He's pissed that he's on babysitting duty again. Nancy explains that they're not babies anymore, and they really need to give off an academic scholar vibe. Uh, and as she's saying this, Robin is going through Nancy's room, like, marveling, at some of the classic girly stuff she has there. Like there's a ballerina jewelry box. There's a poster of Tom Cruise. She's like, oh my God. And Steve says, um, she gives off an academic scholar vibe. Nancy holds up this pink frilly outfit and says, no, but she will. Robin looks at that outfit and she's like, oh my goodness. You could just see it in her face. You've got to be kidding me. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We cut over and up to Alaska. Joyce and Murray are in a motel. Joyce is trying to reach home, but she keeps getting a busy signal. Murray's like, um, you can check in with them later. Just don't understand why it's still busy. Joyce, there are certain things one can be late to in life. A dentist appointment, a one-year-old's birthday party, because who cares, that little idiot's not gonna remember it, but for what is essentially a ransom exchange. For that, for that, I think you very much need to be on time. He hangs up the phone for her, and they head out of the motel. He does apologize. He says he's sorry. He's just very tense. And Joyce is like, clearly. And much like we've done in the past, we go from Alaska over to Soviet Russia. Today is the big day. We hear Enzo giving Hop instructions on how to get to the church and to wait there for Yuri. Sounds like a foolproof plan. What could possibly go wrong? Enzo mentions that they arrived last night, and by tomorrow he'll be enjoying some actual Enzos with his sexy woman. Hopper says, she's not my woman. And Enzo says, of course not, sarcastically. She saves your life because of friendship. Enzo then levels with him, gives him the odds, maybe between 50 to 1. Hopper doesn't react at all. He doesn't even look at him. Just, It's like he's a, a man on a singular goal, and it doesn't matter what it takes to get that, to achieve that goal. Uh, and when, when Enzo notices he doesn't react, he says he's cool. He's cool like Steve McQueen, the cooler king. Hopper says, uh, let's hope not, because a spoiler alert, Steve McQueen gets caught while doing his great escape. Enzo says, uh, you must be better than McQueen today. And then he changes the odds to maybe 100 to 1. They then notice that that nosy guard is kind of looking at them again. So to keep up appearances, he pushes Hopper over and gives him a nice little stiff kick. 
After he gets up, Hopper makes his way over to have his leg irons checked. All good. No issues with the chain. No face, face of pain or anything with Jim Hopper. He's all good. So he heads off to work for the day and maybe do a little more than just work. But that other guard looks after him, like turns and just keeps looking at him as if he suspects something. We jump over to Lenora Hills in California, the buyer's house. Those two government guys, I'm going to call them the suits. They're watching golf on TV. I, I'm not a golf, I'm not a golf aficionado. I grew up with golfers in the family. So when you had a family get together, you know, my grandfather, my uncle, there'd always be golf on. I've learned to appreciate it. And actually today, when I wanted to podcast earlier in the day, I sat down for a second on the couch and then I found myself hypnotized by a golf tournament. I had my dog snuggled up against me and I thought, oh my God, I need to get to podcasting. But instead, I was just like these two government schlubs watching golf, just hanging out. They're not doing much of anything, just kind of sitting there, babysitting almost, as Jonathan walks by. They ask him, what are you doing? And he's annoyed because he's like, can I just get a drink? They're like, you're not under house arrest. He's like, oh, no, of course not, of course not. He gets to the fridge, and he stops for a moment to look at a nice photo of him and Nancy in happier times. Then as he goes for the drink, he notices something else. He notices an ad for Surfer Boy Pizza. That's where Argyle works. And I noticed something about that ad. A phone number on it. 805-45-PIZZA. Hmm. That actually seems like it could be a real number. I wonder what would happen if we gave it a call. Surf shop, Surfer Boy Pizza, this is Argyle speaking. We make everything fresh here at Surfer Boy except for our pineapple, which comes from a can. Oh, can you hold, dude? Brachachos, I just got another order before this dude on hold called. It's super specific, like like weird specific. You ready? Okay, so first, it's going to be a six-inch crust, and it's got to be super yellow. I don't know. Don't ask me, man. That's what they said, Okay. Now then we got to get the red sauce, okay? Just up to the edge on the crust, so don't go over. The next, they want, and this was really important, four chunks of white mozzarella, three habaneros, nice and bright orange, two green pepper slices, got to let that habanero sing, man, and then one, just one, piece of blue cheese on top. Now, I know it's strange. Blue cheese is damn near mold, but hey, have you tried it? Try before you deny, bro. Okay, that's all I got. Did you get the order? Yeah? Cool. Okay, sorry, bro, Chacho. Thanks for waiting. I love when shows or movies do that. They, they put a phone number. I mean, you're so used to seeing 555. That's kind of been the, the official, unofficial phone number for movies that there it goes nowhere but i love when you see a number you're like wait a second that could be a real number and they do some kind of little easter egg for marketing um it's just a fun little interactive thing that i don't think there's i mean that's just him kind of talking about food i i called it twice 
And as far as I could tell, it was the exact same recording twice. I don't know. I just thought that was like so much fun. I, I, I had to share it. Uh, so Jonathan grabs the ad off the fridge and we cut over to Mike and Will in the other room. I mean, I just don't think they've actually thought this through. If this goes on for a month or months and people can't get a hold of us, they're going to totally freak out. Meanwhile, my mom's probably having a panic attack already. And then what about Hawkins? That lady's just supposed to keep it contained. Like, you can contain any of this without L. I mean... Yeah. If you keep staring at that, it's not going to change, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Before the cops came, me and Elle, we, we had a bad fight. We never fight. I mean, we fought before, but just like silly fights, stupid fights. But I don't know, this one just felt more adult. Like it, it just felt more real. Like, like it was a fight that you can't come back from. Maybe I should have said something. And if I would have said that thing, then maybe she'd want me there with her, wherever she is. Look, Mike. You're gonna see her again, and whatever it is, whatever you didn't say, you can say it to her then, okay? Yeah, yeah. She's gonna be okay. She's not in Hawkins. That's what we should be worrying about. You don't trust Owens? No, I don't know. I mean, he's been good to us and good to Al, but he wasn't able to protect me. That was you guys who saved me. That was you guys. Looks like it's going to be up to us again. It always is, isn't it? So in that scene, Mike is just staring at that letter. That's why Will said, you know, it's, it's not going to change how it is. And he then reassures him that he will see them again. Uh, and I love Will's like, you know, they, they didn't save me. Owen's people didn't save me. That was you guys. That was you guys. And Mike's like, you know, first there's like appreciation. Like you could see these two best friends are starting to bond and and rekindle and, and things are going to be okay between them. We have another great scene that comes later, but this feels like the beginning of that. And then Mike says, it's probably going to be up to us again. And Will says, it always is. And then you can hear Jonathan coming into the room. He says, that's why we can't stay here anymore. He has a plan a plan to get them the hell out of there and go back to Hawkins. I wrote down, yes, because I love reunions and I love them going back to where they belong. Now, Will says, how are we going to do this? We don't have a car and we don't have any money. His plan is to get them a cheap ride in a goddamn pizza van. So Mike and Will go out into the... Uh, back into the living room and like, excuse me, uh, we're hungry. And they hold up an ad, the, the Surfer Boy pizza ad. And the two guys are like, uh, we could eat. We get a quick funny moment of Argyle answering the phone, very much like he does when you call the, uh, the phone number. R but at that moment, we jump right back over to Hawkins. Max seems to be done with her letters and puts them all in envelopes. On the last one, she writes, Billy. And then she comments how she can feel Steve, Lucas, and Dustin all staring at her. Uh, 
And they're like, huh, what, huh, what? She's like, I don't know how that's supposed to be protecting her from Vecna. She gets up to give each of them a letter. And, uh, but before that, actually, they were looking down and she's like, okay, you can, you can actually look at me now. It's funny how awkward the boys are around her uh, with the, you know, the, the doom that is looming over uh, all of their heads, but specifically her. She gives them each a letter. She also has a letter for Mike, L, and Will. And Stephen doesn't just start like opening the envelope. She's like, wait, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? She goes, you can't do that right now. You have to wait. And Dustin's like, wait, what is this? It's, um, it's a fail-safe for after, you know, if things, if they, if they don't work out. Wait, well, Max, things are going to work out? No. No, I don't need you to reassure me right now and tell me that it's all going to work out because people have been telling me that my entire life and it's almost never true. It's never true. I mean, of course, this asshole curses me. I should have seen that one coming. It's sad for a couple reasons. The first one, of course, she's, she's writing goodbye letters to her friends. I wonder if we'll ever see any of those letters. Obviously, we know we, we hear one. But I wonder if any others will come up. Um, but what's also sad is, you know, the boys are these optimistic kids who kind of, they're like, it's always worked out. We'll figure it out. And Max is like, no, I am sick of hearing things are going to work out. You know, she's not, she's sick of being reassured. She is not expecting, um, she's expecting the worst is what she's expecting. There's been so many bad things happening to her lately. Um, she just assumes this is, uh, you know, obviously the perfect, terrible ending, the perfect shit cherry on a, uh, a terrible Sunday, you could say. After she has that moment, she l- walks over to the walkie-talkie and asks Dustin if it'll reach um, Penhurst from East Hawkins. And Steve's like, why do you want to reach Penhurst? And Dustin's like, oh, of course, of course. She has a plan. She's not going to be sitting in that Mike Wheeler's basement all day. There's a fun exchange between her and Steve. Poor Steve, thinking he's babysitting again and again having to take the kids someplace. She's like, you know, get in the car uh, or I'll call the cops and and tell them that you're holding uh, me uh, kidnapping, basically. She said, I know a good lawyer. And he's like, get in the car. The, the kids pile in... Um, but not before Mac, before she, Max gets in, she looks back once through the fence and we hear the ticking of that grandfather clock again. So I wonder if she saw the clock in the woods. Now we cut over to Penhurst Asylum where they wanted to make sure the walkie-talkie signal would reach. And we see the Wheeler-mobile showing up with Robin and Nancy. Robin looks so uncomfortable in what she's wearing. She hates the heels. She hates it all. It's actually, it's pretty funny. Nancy says, let me do the talking if that's even possible. And Robin says, oh, it's not only possible, it's inevitable because she said she's going to die from strangulation by that collar. So they go in and they meet the director. I think it's Dr. Hatch. 
and he's very impressed with their academic records. But he's, and he's sympathetic of their requests. Uh, but he says there is a protocol in place for visiting a patient like Victor. He basically shuts them down, but he offers to give them a tour. And maybe, maybe if they're lucky, they can talk to some of their lower security uh, residents. Nancy says that'd be great, but um, their thesis is due soon. And the guy's like, well, you're out of time. And whose fault is that? Nancy's quick to agree uh, that it is her fault. But you can see on Robin's face, you can see her face kind of twist up because, you know, she does not like the way this jerk is talking down to these young women. While Nancy apologizes, Robin takes a different route. I do apologize. Don't apologize, Ruth. Screw that. The fact of the matter is we did put in a request months ago and were denied. And then we reapplied and were denied again. And coming here was our last ditch effort to save our thesis. And I really, I can't breathe in this thing. Uh, well, Rose, maybe you'd like to go outside and get some air. Maybe I should, Ruth, mm -hmm. because I'm starting to think this whole thing is a colossal mistake. I'm breaking out in a rash. My boobs hurt. And I'll tell you the truth, Anthony. May I call you Anthony? These aren't actually my clothes. I borrowed them because I wanted you to take us seriously. Because nobody takes girls seriously in this field. They just don't. We don't look the part or whatever. But can I tell you a story? 1978, I was at summer camp. And my counselor, Drew, told me and everyone in Cabin C the true story of the Victor Creel massacre. And little Petey McHugh, you know Petey, right, Ruth? Uh, of course. Yeah. Little Petey McHugh started sobbing right there on the spot, full-on hyperventilating, and all the other campers, they couldn't sleep for weeks. And I couldn't sleep either, but not because I was scared, because I was obsessed with the question, what would drive a human being to commit such unimaginable acts? Other kids, they wanted to be astronauts, basketball players, rock stars, but I wanted to be you. I wanted to be you, so forgive me if I'll now try anything in my power, including wearing this ridiculous outfit, if I might get the chance to speak to the man that ignited my passion and learn a little bit more about how his twisted, but let's face it, totally fascinating mind works. So yes, we don't have the official paperwork. But don't tell me that crybaby Petey McHugh wouldn't have gotten an audience with Victor in a matter of moments if he'd asked politely, because you and I both know that he would. So, 10 minutes with Victor. That's all I ask. What an amazing moment for Robin Buckley, the character, for Maya Hawke, the actress. Just a fantastic monologue improv on the spot obviously i mean it's not really improv but for robin uh it just went off the rails completely not what they prepared at all not what they rehearsed uh nancy was supposed to do all of the talking and robin just took over and spun a tale that was so filled with passion and so believable that the next thing we see this guy opens his, his office and tells the secretary we'll be back in 30 minutes. And as the girls are walking behind him, they give a quick little low five to each other. Uh, so it worked. And I also love seeing them really start to bond. Speaking of two people bonding, I love Murray and Joyce spending so much time together. It's a lot of fun. 
We jump back to Alaska and we see a car pulling up outside of Yuri's Fish and Fly. And who gets out of the car? But, of course, Joyce and Murray. Murray tells Joyce that if things go south, he is now a black belt in karate. And I'm sorry, that's it. Um, When he spoke to Joyce over the phone, he said he was in karate class. On the airplane, he was reading a karate magazine, and now he mentions to Joyce that he is a black belt in karate. They have set this up enough. We have to get Murray using his karate at some point, kicking somebody's ass. Uh, it, there has to be a payoff. There has to be. So they, they, they're outside, and they're, you know, don't, they don't see anyone around. Hello, hello. And this man steps out of the plane, asks them what they're looking for. Uh, he tells a fun little story about, uh, they're like, we're looking for Yuri. Oh, unfortunately, he shows them some damage on the plane. And Yuri um, was out, uh, was he out looking for polar bears? And the polar bear ended up getting him. This guy, this guy, Yuri, is like, he's a real character. Uh, you know, he's like, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm Yuri, I'm Yuri. First, because he told them, oh, God rest his soul. Ha, 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 I'm Yuri. Seems like such a fun trustworthy guy and speaking of being trustworthy you know we know we can trust Joyce and Murray but Yuri is not so sure about Joyce and Murray Yuri Murray Yuri Murray so of course he wants to count all the money he says it could be a while so he offers Joyce and Murray you know uh, some nice hot coffee and a place to sit and um Take a load off and just relax a little bit. We cut across and over to Russia where we see Hopper. He's out working and he's starting to put his plan into action. He puts his pickaxe like under the train track and he leans on it and leans on it until he snaps it. Then he looks around like, "Uh uh-oh, my tool is broken. I need a new one. So he jogs off to a nearby workshed as another inmate, it's that one who smashed his leg irons the last time they were out there, looks at him and calls him a crazy American. I think he knows that that crazy American might be up to something. Enzo looks on as Hopper walks into the, over to the shed. But a guard yells at him and holds up a gun and tells him, get back, get back. But Hopper shows him the broken tool. He's like, tool, I can't work. I need the tool. So the soldier finally understands uh, what's going on, and he goes into the shed to get Hopper a new tool, but he doesn't realize before it's too late that Hopper followed him in. He totally knocks that guard right out. But outside, that nosy guard, he suspects something is going on. We see inside the shed, Hopper is rushing, rushing to take those irons off his feet. But he's just not fast enough. The guard is behind him and tells him, Stand up! Hands up! The despair in Hopper's face looks so real. You know, this was his moment. He stands up with the leg irons in his hand. This 
This still is his moment. Bam, he turns on this guy, this guard we hate, and he smashes him with the leg irons. And But the thing is, this guy does not go down easy. A vicious fight ensues where you think Hopper has the upper hand. Then this guy gets the upper hand. Then Hopper tries to choke this guy. And, and they're going back and forth. And what I love is there's no music. There's no music to build on the drama. The, the quiet fight, uh, the desperate fight is, is what is causing the drama. Now, outside... Enzo's like keeping an eye on things, but nobody knows or suspects that anything is going on until they hear the machine gun. Not much you can do to hide that. Hopper uh, pulls this guy's head down, snaps his neck, then he notices some dynamite on a table. He pushes the table, a different table, up against the door as all these guards try to rush in. They're, they're pushing at this thing, you know, the, he barricaded it. And we see him climb out of the roof of the cabin and jump off the roof just as the guards push in, open the door, and they notice the dynamite is lit and try to run. Hopper races into the woods. And at this point, every, every guard is alerted. He jumps on a snowmobile that has a key in it, so it must be waiting for him from Enzo, and he races off up a hill. The guards start shooting at him. He can't make the tree line. Bam, 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 bam. They're shooting, they're shooting. Don't let him make the tree line. But he makes the tree line. He escapes. All the prisoners cheer, and Enzo looks on in awe. A hundred to one. Son of a bitch. He did it! Hopper made it. He's a free man. Thank goodness. Phew. I'm glad that's over with. All he has to do now is wait for our main man, Yuri, to arrive. Hooray! Cut back over to Hawkins, where Max and the boys are driving along. Lucas looks like he, he wants to say something to Max, but she is just staring off into space. Doesn't look like she wants to talk to anybody right now. They pull up to her trailer, and Steve's like, let's be quick about this. I think she said like 20 seconds. She runs inside, and she leaves letters on a table for Dad for her grandmother, for someone we don't see, and one for her mother, four in total. But she looks up and sees her mom hanging laundry in the backyard. She goes to talk to her, and her mother's like, oh, the, the boss let me go home early today. And I was thinking, is she covering? Was she sent home? Was she drunk? Um, but as far as I can tell, that was all on the up and up. She talked about how um, she has some letters that she wrote for, um, for mom, for grandma, for Uncle Jack. So that's who the other uh, person, and for dad, if you can get it to him. 
And obviously she didn't say she had one for mom. That's her mom. And she's like, what kind of letters? And she's just like, you know, with the murders going on, I just, you know, if, if it, you know, what if it happened to me? And her mother's like, stop it. You're scaring me. You know, uh, why are you talking like this? She's like, you know what? You're right. You're, you're I'm sorry. I, I you know, I, I apologize. I'm, I'm being stupid. And uh, they have a moment where they hug. Uh, it's a nice moment between mother and daughter. But then the sky goes dark. Clouds roll in. There's blood on the laundry that her mother has been hanging. And mom? She's no longer there. Nothing is going to happen, baby. Promise. Nothing you don't deserve. freaked out officially um i i do love that we get two lines i think from previous trailers you've broken everything that's from like the the official trailer that that was released um with the journey song right your time is almost at an end she's freaked out um he's like you think some letters are going to do any do you know make things right uh, and while he's saying this, we're seeing visions of Billy dying. So that's obviously running through Max's head. She pushes away and falls back. Her mom's not there. The laundry is. But then I'm wondering, was her mom ever there? She goes back to the car and is visibly upset. They're like, that took a lot longer than 20 seconds. She's like, just drive. He's like, what, 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 what's going on? Just drive. We cut back to Penhurst Asylum. The director is bringing Nancy and Robin through the campus. Uh, and then as they're making their way through, they're in a music room. He says that, um, you know, they found that music has a calming effect on the broken mind. The right song, particularly one that holds some sort of personal meaning, can prove a salient stimulant. I wonder if anyone watching at that moment thought, well, 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 this turns out to be a major learning moment. So the girls are led downstairs to a more secure location. Really makes me think of Silence of the Lambs. They ask if they can talk to Victor alone. Robin almost blows their cover when she gets the name of the professor's wrong. And, but Dr. Hatch says, uh, yeah, sure, why not? He says he was feeling, um, you know, he was feeling, I forget what it was, adventurous or something like that. But he was like, yeah, why not? Rebellious, I believe is what he said. But he, then he said, I have something urgent that I need to check on anyway. And, I, and looking back, I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if I know what he was checking on. 
especially given on the look that he gives them. So they're led down into these dark and scary hallway with all these cells, with people inside them roaming about, some of them making noises, some of them not making any noises. And the guard gives them a bunch of rules to follow, including you know, stay five feet away from the bars at all time. He then tells Victor he has some visitors, some real pretty ones, because of course this guard has to be a pervy creep or a creepy perv or, or both. We see for the first time Victor Creel, sort of. His back is facing the girls as he sits at a metal table, scraping his fingers across. Imagine if he had metal fingers. That would be nightmarish. Ooh, just got a little chill up my spine. Ooh. Uh, so they introduce themselves, and what I notice is they, they don't use the, uh, the fake names anymore. They introduce themselves as Robin Buckley and Nancy Wheeler. He snaps that he doesn't talk to reporters. They tell him, we're not reporters. We're here because we believe you and because we need your help. Whatever killed your family, we think it's back. That seemed to get his attention, and he turns to face them. Not to look at them, just to face them. Because when they see him for the first time, they realize he has no eyes. His lids look like they've been completely cut and scarred shut. This generation rules the nation. Pass the duche on the left hand side. Pass the duche on the left hand side. That's musical youth with Pash the Duchy. I remember um, as a kid, I don't know where it came from, but my dad had that record with that song on it. And I think as a kid, I thought the duchy was supposed to be a ball, like you're playing a game. At least that's what, <laughs> I think that's what my dad told me. Um, I believe what I read was there's a there's a, um, a song called Pass the Cushy, which I think we know, wink, wink, uh, what they're talking about. And past the duchy was supposed to be like a Dutch oven. This is what I read on Wikipedia. But um, I think we know what they're talking about with that, too. And I'm pretty sure that's what Argyle is thinking of when he's listening to this song as he makes his way over to the buyer's house to deliver that pizza. Uh, but I just remember I've known this song since I was a wee little kid. And I just it reminds me of looking at the album and being like, how is it there's a band that are all kids? This is amazing. And I just remember playing it on my dad's record player in our living room. Uh, and I, I had no idea that, uh, what Argyle would think the Duchy means. I'm just a very innocent boy. I don't know these things. Uh, so speaking of the buyer's house, we go um, into the house. 
and we get the moment that I've been waiting for for pretty much four episodes. Will and Mike finally get on the same page as Mike apologize. And uh, he says that Hawkins is not the same without them. They're a team. Friends. Best friends. Thanks, by the way. For what? For knocking some sense into me. I mean, I was being a total self-pitying idiot. I didn't say it. You didn't have to. Hey, also, about, uh, about the last few days... You don't have to say anything. I was being a total jerk to Al. I deserved it. No. No, no. No, you didn't deserve anything. Listen, the truth is, the last year has been weird, you know? And, I mean, you know, Max and Lucas and Dustin, they're, they're great. They're great. It's just... It's Hawkins. It's not the same without you. And I feel like maybe I was worrying too much about Elle. And I don't know, maybe I feel like I lost you or something. Does that make sense? I have no idea what's going to happen next. But whatever it is, I, I, I think we should work together. I think it'll be easier for we're a team. Friends. Best friends. Cool. Cool. That was fast. 30 minutes or less. All right. You guys ready? Yeah. Yeah. I love that moment with Will and Mike and the emotion on Will's face. He grabs that painting he's been working on as they prepare to leave. Pizza time. I got it. Yeah, I'm coming. Hold your horses. Jesus Christ. Hello there. What the hell is that? Stay here! It's at that moment all hell breaks loose. It wasn't Argyle at the door. It was some dude in camouflage, some military man, who apparently uh, is willing to kill these two suits to get to 11. Takes out one of the guys, the guy who answered the door. Now there's a major gunfight. The boys are running around like crazy. And what I love about this is when the boys are in the room and they freak out and they see what's going on, this whole thing becomes one long, like, one long take where that we follow them. Uh, they're running around like crazy. It's very, it's very like, um, frantic. And the, the guard is, the other guy's shooting, shooting. He's telling him to get down, get down. And they're like, when I shoot, you run. He's taking out a few guys. They run. He takes one bullet, like, in the belly. And as all this craziness is going on, Argyle's pulling up outside. Fires, man, having a party, not inviting me, man. That's not cool. That is so not cool, man. Stop the car! So at this point, that suit that was shooting to keep them alive, the one who got shot, uh, still seems to be alive. He got in the, the van with Will, Mike, and Jonathan. And they just yell, drive. And I love Argyle's like, is that real blood? They take off. But a um, couple things. Number one, any surviving military know now to look for a pizza van. So that's not good. Um, and number two, and this is positive for as far as the show goes, these guys are now in it. 
they're in some craziness right now. They were for a while. They've been on the periphery. Uh, you know, the, they were dealing with very small local uh, personal things, personal things between Will and Mike, personal things between Mike and Eleven, uh, just personal issues that were going on. You know, Jonathan was dealing with is- uh, worrying about Nancy, all these things because life was fairly boring for them. Uh, but then Owen shows up, Eleven's taken or leaves. She's not taken and they're just sitting there on the sidelines like, what are we doing? We need to get into action. And before they can even get into the action, the action uh, comes directly to their door. The buyer's house is like, it's compromised. No one's going back there. I think that's the last time we're going to see that home. Um, because Argyle just booked it out of there. And, you know, who knows where they're going next, but... Wherever it is, the adventure begins. We cut back to Alaska. Yuri is finally done counting the money. And thankfully, it's all there. At this point, Joyce is just running out of patience, and she tells him, okay, now it's time to do your part and go get Hopper. He said, okay, But first, he needs to call Enzo to double-check that Hopper is not dead. Basically, he's like, hey, I'm sure he's fine, but uh, it would save him time and gas. It would save him a hassle. Uh, Just he wants to confirm, you know, that Hopper is alive. That seems reasonable. And just like clockwork, we jump from Alaska over to Russia, where Hopper is still racing along in the snowmobile all the way to this edge of this ridge overlooking uh, this small town. I don't even know if the town's deserted or not, but um, he gets off the the snowmobile and he's running through the town uh, to the church. This is the church that Enzo told him about. He actually finds a key right under a rock where he must have been told it would be. So, so far, so good. Enzo is holding up his part of the bargain swimmingly. He gets inside and he finds all these crates. Obviously, this Enzo, this uh, Yuri guy is a smuggler. So all these crates must be things he smuggled in. He uses a a crowbar to open some of the crates and he finds, ooh, some blue jeans. My first thought was, look for your size, Hopper. Put them on. It's got to be better than the pants you have on. But then, in another crate, he finds peanut butter the look of joy on hopper's face when he eats that peanut butter is so pure it's like it's like the first feeling of home it's it's like tasting a world that he hasn't felt that he hasn't had any like hope or connection to in in a year it's just it's sad and joyous. I mean, this guy, the facial expression, expressions that, that David Harbour does, amazing. He f- sees a little bed um, and he finds a blanket, covers up his feet. His feet are bare. So, and he tries to you know, warm them up. And all the while, continuing to munch on that delicious peanut butter. As we cut back to the prison... Enzo's directing some prisoners when another guard says, Antonov, phone for you. That's, he, this was all in Russian. And 
I'm wondering, this is the first time we heard his actual name of Antonov. Um, or did I just miss it another time? It's possible. He answers the phone. Enzo, it's Yuri. And Enzo's like, or Antonov, whatever you want to call him. He's like, what are you, what are you doing calling me here? Are you mad? And this is when we realize that the full name of Yuri is Yuri Evan A-Hole because he's an Evan A-Hole. He double-crossed everybody. He tells Enzo that he called the warden and he gave up Hopper. At this moment, we see guards storm the church and run at Hopper. Yuri said he decided to keep the the 40 grand and get some extra money for turning in an escaped prisoner. And you know what's even worth more money? Corrupt guards. At this point, we see Antonov being approached by other guards. And then he says, and you know what's worth most of all? Americans wanted by the KGB. It's at this point we realize that he drugged Murray and Joyce. Joyce is looking at the coffee and she's starting to get dizzy. Murray is passed out on this couch. Joyce drops her coffee cup, falls to the ground, and is barely conscious as Yuri walks up to her. Oh, I'm sorry, poor bird. Did I make your coffee too strong? (laughs) Don't worry. You will be reunited with your American boyfriend very soon. Very soon. Yuri. F you, Yuri. I hate you. I went from liking you to being weary of you to downright hating you. As we leave Russia, I think this might be the last time we see, uh, I say as we leave Alaska and Russia, I think this might be the last time we see both of those areas. We jump back. I believe we stay in Hawkins pretty much the rest of the way. We jump back to Hawkins now, and we see our friends driving along uh, as Max asks them to turn into the Roan Hills Cemetery. They stop, and she gets out without even saying a word to them and starts walking up a hill. Lucas jumps out quickly to talk to her. Max? Lucas, please, just wait in the car. Max, just wait, just wait. Lucas, Max, just please, wait just listen car. to me. Just please. I know something happened back there with your mother. Was it Vecna? I told you. I'm fine. Okay? I mean, as fine as someone who's hurtling towards a gruesome death can be. Max? You know you can talk to me. Right? Yeah, I know that. Okay, then why do you keep pushing me away? Okay, look, I don't need a letter. I don't want a letter. Just talk to me, to your friends. We're right here. I'm right here. Okay? I'm here. Just wait in the car. This won't be long. I love that Lucas 
is mature enough to not let this just happen around him. Like he gets out of the car, he follows her, he's pleading with her. He wants her to know that, you know, the friends are here. He's right here for her. She listens. I think she takes it in, but, you know, she tells him just to go wait in the car. It won't be long. You know, when we see what she has to go do, you can tell it, it is something that she would want to do alone. So we cut back to the asylum where Nancy is telling Victor Creel about their friend and her waking nightmare. And he asks if any of it sounds like what happened to his family. He says, you don't know anything. And I love Robert Englund because when that voice gets real angry and aggressive, you can hear the Freddy Krueger coming through. I love it. They said, we need to know how you survived that night. And he thinks and says, survived? Did I survive? No, I assure you, I am still very much in hell. I have been back from the war some 14 years. Her great uncle had died, leaving us a small fortune, enough to buy a new home. A new life. What I tell you? Wow, this is amazing. It looks like a fairy tale, a dream. Alice, no running. It's so big. Yeah, this is nice. Yeah. It was. Yeah. A magnificent home. This is our first glimpse at the Creel House backstory that we've been teased about for a long time. Uh, He talks about how he got back from the war and they they got this house uh, with money from an inheritance. He, his wife, and his two children. His daughter Alice loved the house. She said it was like it was out of a fairy tale. But his son Henry was a sensitive child and he felt something was wrong. We see him coloring and we see lights flickering in the house. They had one month of peace in that house. And then it began. Dead animals, mutilated, tortured, began to appear near their home. The police blamed the attacks on a wildcat. But Victor felt, he knew, this was no wildcat. This was evil. An evil, neither human nor animal. We see the younger version of Victor sitting on a front porch with a shotgun protecting his home. In the house, we see his wife running a bath and screaming because she sees visions of spiders in the bathtub, very similar to the spiders we saw around the grandfather clock. When Victor checked the tub, it was fine. Then their daughter started having nightmares. Young Victor himself had visions of a baby screaming in a crib, engulfed in flames in the living room fireplace. He went upstairs to check the attic to see if there was anything in the house. The attic, I think, looked like it was the prop department for a horror movie company. There was a scary baby carriage, 
a scary piano, a scary wheelchair, just about everything uh, you need to make a house uh, very, very spooky. We then see the Creel family sitting around the dinner table, listening to the radio. It was there we see his wife die in the exact same way Chrissy and Fred were broken and killed. He tries to get the children out of the house, but the front door wouldn't open. He finally broke through and was brought into a nightmare. He was back in the war, in a home on fire, a home in France. It was a memory. He ordered the shelling of a home because he thought that were German soldiers inside. He was wrong. We see a baby's crib on fire. Just like he had that vision of the baby's crib on fire. So that vision he had was based on a flashback and something that actually happened. He thought he was about to be taken. But then he heard an angel and he followed her voice. But in your dreams, whatever they be, dream a little dream. He was able to escape and get out of the dream, only to find himself in a nightmare far worse when he found both of his children lying there. His daughter dead, her eyes gone his son barely holding on. He slipped into a coma shortly after that and died a week later. We see young Victor behind bars. He smuggled a razor blade in and he tried to join. Hatch stopped the bleeding. He wouldn't let me join him. The angel you followed. Who was she? Victor. Victor. Is he everything you hoped he would be? I just had a very interesting conversation with Professor Bradley. Perhaps we should discuss in my office while we wait for the police. Okay, so we we figure out that Victor's eyes are scarred like that, not because Vecna took his eyes, but because he tried to kill himself and take his own eyes so he could join his family. But Hatch stopped the bleeding, and uh, he lived. And this is what he looks like now. As Nancy's asking who was the angel... He just starts humming, dream a little dream, over and over. And then, bam, Hatch enters, enters the room, and he's like, he just had a nice discussion with Professor Brantley. The girls have been found out, 
They're going to go talk, talk about it more in his office while waiting for the police. We cut back over to the cemetery. Max is sitting in front of a grave with the name William Hargrove on it. Born 1967, died 1985, 18 years old. She opens the envelope and reads the letter that she wrote to Billy. I played a lot of that uh, clip at the beginning of this episode. She says, you know, I don't know if you'll hear this. A couple of years ago, I never would believe it. But, you know, with everything that's been going on, everything she's realized and, and seen over the last couple of years, you never know. She talks about how his dad was a wreck. Finally took off, not leaving them much. She talks about how her mom took extra work. They live in a trailer now. She says, basically, since he died, everything's been a total disaster. And the, the worst part is she can't even tell anybody why he's really gone. That he saved Elle's life. He saved Max's life. She plays that moment over and over again, imagining herself running and pulling him away. He'd still be here. They, maybe they could be friends, like real brother and sister. Which is crazy because you hated me, I hated you. She said, but maybe they could try. But that's not what happened. She just stood there and watched. She said, for a while I tried to be happy, normal. But I think maybe a part of me died that day too. And I haven't told anyone this. I, I can't. But I had to tell you before it's too late. If you can even hear this, I really hope you can. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry, Billy. Love, your shitty little sister, Max. It's at this point, the world gets dark around Max. The sun disappears, and in the distance she hears laughter. Max. And that voice. I know that voice. Down in the car, Steve's waited long enough. All right, it's been long enough. Steve, just give her some time. I have. All right, Sinclair? I'm calling it. She wants to get a lawyer if she can. Max. Time to giddy up, yeah? But when he gets up there, he finds Max, Max is in a trance. Max. Her eyes have gone pale. Max. They're rolled back. Max. She's unresponsive. Max. I've been waiting to hear those words, Max. Oh, God, this isn't really Billy. Waiting so very long. Wake up! Steve is trying to wake her up. Down by the car, Dustin and Lucas know something's going on. Oh, something's wrong. In the dream, she's still being confronted by what looks like Billy. But it wasn't the full truth, was it, Max? You know, I think there's a part of you buried somewhere deep 
that wanted me to die that day. That was maybe even relieved. Happy. Billy, no, it's not true. That's why you stood there, isn't it, Matt? It's okay, you can admit it now. No more lies. No more hiding. Billy, that's not true. I swear. Is why you feel such guilt. No. Why you hide from your friends. No. Why you hide from the world. No. And why, late at night, you have sometimes wished to follow me. Follow me into death. That is no. why I am here, Max, to end no. your suffering once and for all. She falls over and no longer sees Billy. She now sees Vecna. It is time, Max. Time for you to join me. Run, Max, run! I was like, oh, blank that. I'll, I'm not even going to say it. But uh, run is my first thought, and that is exactly what she does. She runs off in the dream, but in reality, she's just sitting there as Lucas, Steve, and Dustin are desperately trying to wake her. Steve yells, you know, go get Nancy and Robin. Go call Nancy and Robin. Dustin runs down to the uh, car, grabs the walkie, starts yelling, Nancy and Robin, code red, code red. But at this exact moment, Nancy and Robin are still with Hatch. They're heading to his office with two guards right behind them. Robin takes an interest as they're walking through. Nancy's trying to plead with them. I have a friend who's really in trouble. Hatch doesn't want to hear it. Robin takes an interest in the music that some of the inmates were listening to. They're back going through the music room. She notices them. They're relaxing. And it's like the wheels are turning in her head. You can see she's trying to put some pieces together. She thinks that music might be the key on how to get people out of their trance. It seemed to work for Victor. She tells that to Nancy, and Nancy says uh, she's ready to run. She wants to get the hell out of there. And Robin's like, I, I don't, I don't run very well. And doesn't matter. They boom. Once they are outside, they take off. And yes, Robin is a very weird runner. I think she kicked off those terrible shoes so she could move a little faster. Now back in Max's head. She is running through the cemetery. Uh, Vecner is never far behind. While that's going on, we're cutting back and forth. We see Nancy reaching the car. Before those inept guards get to her, they, they get in the car, close the door, and they get the hell out of there. The guard's like, open up, open up, don't you leave. And they leave because why wouldn't they leave? Get the hell out of there. They don't know whose car that was. They don't have their real names. There's no chance Victor Creel's going to tell them. So they get the hail out of there finally free they hear dustin repeatedly calling them on the walkie it's in sitting in the back seat of the car code red code red they finally answer him and dustin pleads please tell me you have figured it out inside the nightmare max is screaming screaming for lucas and dustin to help <laughs> She's in the cemetery, and now she sees this, this red glow. Almost like a red wall 
of fog and lightning. And she walks towards it. Back in reality, Dustin empties Mac's bag all over the hood of Steve's car, grabs her Walkman and a bunch of tapes, and runs them up to Steve and Lucas, who are still with Max. Max is now in the middle of the cemetery, which is bathed in this glowing red darkness. The ground is slime, and when she looks up, she sees that she's in this, the middle of this massive, desolate space, like a giant hellscape, with these spires of stones jutting out of the air. It was like it was built and made by nature all at the same time. It had all these structures floating around it. And she kept getting closer. I gotta get out of there! Get out of here! What, what is this? Her song! What's your favorite what, song? Why? Robin said it. If, if you listen, it's so much to explain right now. What's her favorite song? As Max gets closer to the structure, we see the staircase, the clock, the doorway. We come to realize this is like the remains of the Creel house. It seems to all focus around the Creel house. What are you doing in here, Max? I'm wondering if I'm sensing some some fear in Vecna's voice. Like, how did Max find this place and what is she doing here? Come back to me. She now sees Chrissy, or this version of Chrissy, in a tree with all these tentacles and arms sticking in her mouth. And it's almost like she's just kind of plugged into the tree. And she sees Fred the same way. How do you like that, Max? Would you like to join them? She turns and tries to run, but with the flick of a wrist, he sends one of the tentacles out to grab her, pull her, drag her back, pin her up against the wall, strap both her arms back, and wrap around her neck. The boys are still trying to find the right tape, the right song, as Vecna gets closer and closer to Max. The moment the, the song comes on, in the distance, she can see an opening. She can see her friends. They can't help you, Max. There's a reason you hide from them. Max is not giving up. She says, you're not really here. Oh, but I am Max. I am. This is when all hell breaks loose. His hand goes over her. And Max rises. Rises like Chrissy like Fred, like Mrs. Creel, 
But the music, the music is still getting through to her. It's still a lifeline to reality. She has these amazing emotional flashbacks with this music. I'm getting emotional right now just thinking about it. Visions of her with Dustin, her with Lucas, her with Eleven, her with Mike. All these great moments she had with her friends, her friends that care about her, her friends that are there for her, her friends that love her. What you just heard was someone not giving up. She reached one hand and pulled like a vein or some kind of something from Vecna's neck. He went down. She hurt him and she freed herself. And now she is running, running towards that opening, running to that lifeline, to her friends. She is not giving up. She is not giving in. Vecna is dropping things left and right from the sky, trying to fight her, trying to get her, trying to to get her back, not let her leave. But she's determined. She can feel it. She's so close. She made it. She's still here, surrounded by Steve, Dustin, and Lucas. She's back. The episode ends. What an amazing episode. This really was such a, a, a highlight for the Max character. Probably her best episode ever. Um... So much happened in this episode. We, we learned um, some back history with Vecna. We also learned there's a way out. There's a way to maybe not defeat him, but escape from him. Amazing. Now, I wrote down a few things. What have we learned? We learned that music is the key. Music is your lifeline back to reality. You know, I've, I've often fallen asleep with music on, and sometimes I can, I can hear it in my dream. It almost becomes the soundtrack to my dream. So hearing music while you're in a dream state is absolutely something that um, is very real. Also, I think Steve is onto something with his whole confusion as to why now for Vecna. Why the house in the 50s and why now? I feel like there has to be something significant. Max is going to talk about, I think, going to talk about and remember things she saw and how what she saw is like the house. And I bet that Nancy and Robin are going to put the pieces together with Victor and her 
and kind of realize they need to go check on this Creel house. What else do we learn? We learn that those military guys that are after 11 are not messing around. They will kill you to get what they want. And um, what they want is her. Luckily, the guys were saved by a pizza man. A wonderful, wonderful pizza man. We also learned that Hopper loves peanut butter. If you're lucky enough to find someone who looks at you the way that Hopper looks at peanut butter, you're living a very lucky and happy life. And of course, we learned that Yuri is a greedy, backstabbing son of a bitch. So where are our friends right now? Well, we haven't seen Eleven in this episode at all. And we didn't see Eddie in this episode at all. Mike, Will, and Jonathan are now off with uh, Argyle and that last suit driving along, uh, running away from gunfire. We know Max, Steve, and Lucas are at the cemetery with Dustin also. And we know Nancy and Robin were heading back from the um, from the asylum. We know Hopper's been recaptured. It looks like Enzo has been captured. And Joyce and Murray have also, well, been captured. I mean, they've been double-crossed. And it looks like they're in deep doo-doo. And I think, I think that is it, my friends. What a wonderful episode. And I'm actually thrilled that I don't know what comes next. It just gives me this like excitement, anticipation. You guys all know. I guarantee you guys all know what comes next. I don't. And it is, there is something kind of awesome about that. Um, but I'm going to find out really soon. Yes, I am. Uh, thank you guys so much again for all the, uh, tweets, for the, uh, the voicemails, for any, all the reviews and, and, and on Spotify, the likes. I appreciate it so, so very much. I'm so excited and so happy to be able to do a podcast that people are finding and listening to. I, I thoroughly appreciate it. Um, I think I'm done. I think I'm over. I think this is done. So uh, listen, I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank you for subscribing, for following. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Mentality. The show has its own Twitter account at StrangerDPod. We're also found at fansnotexperts.com slash strangerdanger, or you can also go to strangerdangerpodcast.com, HTTP colon slash slash. For some reason with the S, it doesn't work. Oh, well. Really, just go to fansnotexperts.com. You'll find us there. Uh, You'll also find I'm working on a movie month right now where every day I'm watching a movie in June. 30 days, 30 movies, 30 podcasts. Check that out as well. Uh, and what else? Oh, on Facebook, it's simply fans, not experts. There's not a lot there. It's a lot of, a lot of recent posts for movie month. Um, but other than that, I think really everything else you can find right here on the show. And I appreciate it 
I keep saying it over and over. I appreciate it so much that you guys are finding the show and listening to it. So, my friends, I want to thank you one final time. I want to tell you to stay stranger, my friends. And until next time, whatever you do, don't drink Yuri's coffee. Fans not experts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.